So I just realized that the uh, camera just decided to power down for some reason. For some reason. Tell you what, life during these days is just, if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> right? But the question remains. Well, the question I want us to, to think through here this morning, that is wrestling in, in this passage as we see Jesus' interaction with this man. The question is, how does God desire for us to live? What is God's desire for your life? What is God's desire for creation, the world itself? What is God's desire for flourishing? Well, God's desire, God desires us, God desires to get us back to the party. That's, that's God's intention. That is God's heart always for us. God desires to get us back to the party. Now, when I use that word party, I, I love the word party in the sense is because it, it connotes this celebration, this fun, this flourishing life as God intended it to be. Life as God created it to be in the garden. And that is the kingdom. He, he brought this, this about in the new covenant when he came and, and inaugurated the, the new kingdom, the new covenant, through his kingdom. Bringing his kingdom to earth. When he came, he said, the kingdom is here. Change your mind and believe in the gospel. But what is the gospel? That God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of flourishing, the kingdom of the party is here. And so whenever I use that word, I mean the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, I have come you know, to do the will of my Father. And the party is doing and being a part of doing the will of our Heavenly Father. Let's go through this passage here. Leprosy. You know, leprosy, like I said, was is kind of this general term of this of skin disease. Now, specifically back then, that you know, there there's still it may be a disease that doesn't really exist anymore, or it does still exist in those regions. This this leprosy disease, where it just in, starts in, to infect your nerves, and you don't feel when you get a cut or something like that. And so all of a sudden, I mean, I was I googled it. I was like, I should probably not put a picture of that up on the screen. <laughs> so like people like missing all their fingers. Because they get nicked or they do something and it gets infected. They have to cut them off. They wrap them up. Same thing with their feet. And, and so they eventually end up usually dying of just simply infection. They get something that they, they don't feel, a cut or something, and they don't, and it gets infected and they, and they pass away. This was a greatly feared disease in all of their society. So much so that these people were quarantined. We know about how that feels, right? Now, but this was greatly feared in all of the land. This also meant that this man was isolated out. In, you know, he, was, he could not come into any sort of establishment or city. He had to isolate from his family. He couldn't be around his wife and kids if he was married. He couldn't worship God. He couldn't go and hear the word of God in the synagogue. He was unclean and isolated away from everyone. His, his family may have actually had to come out and like set out food for him and walk away 
and maybe just to see him from afar because they were so afraid of this disease. Now, Jesus did something very interesting. Jesus did something very countercultural to them. Instead of, instead of wandering away or like, you know, kind of blessing him from afar, the man fell down face forward. I mean, now first, you know, Jesus should have, according to their culture, yelled at him and said, hey, no, get back. Too close. Get back there. But no, Jesus, he, he fell at Jesus' feet and Jesus wasn't afraid. And instead of saying, okay, you're, you're healed. No, no. Okay, wait, you're healed? Okay, good. All right, now we can hug. What did Jesus do? Jesus, in the midst of his uncleanliness, in the midst of his, uh, of this, of this man's suffering, he reached down and touched this man. He reached down and he made physical contact with this man. And instead of this disease making Jesus unclean, Jesus made this man clean. What should have worked one way worked the opposite because of who was touching him. This beautiful picture that this man was known. He begged Jesus. And what did Jesus tell him? Don't tell anyone. This is, this is where we start to see this, this divine secrecy going on. You know, this, you know, Jesus was keeping this a secret of who he was and what he was doing, why he was doing it. And what happened? But the news spread. Now, another gospel says that this man actually didn't obey Jesus, that he went out and just like told everyone he knew. Now, some people say, well, Jesus was being, you know, reverse psychology, right? Like, not, you know, tell, don't tell anyone. Don't, you know, don't tell anyone. You know, but this man just couldn't help it. But also another another reason why this could have happened is also because of what Jesus told him to do. Jesus told this man, "Go out and go, you know, go show yourself to the priests." Now, there was a custom that they would do, and this is where I got in my research. I'm like, yes, the nerdiness is back. Yes. So there, there's this custom where this priest would go out to where the leprous people were. And if, you know, because they could not enter into the city because they were known to have had this disease. And so this priest would go out, and if you were, if you felt like you were clean, you could go and present yourself to this wandering priest who would come out to you with his compassion to see if, if you were okay now. Because otherwise, you could never go back to the city. And so he would examine you, and then you would make a sacrifice. You would sacri- there was a sacrifice of the birds. You would sacrifice birds uh, one, one, you know, there, were, there were two. You brought two birds, and the first one you you took it and you you know, you know chopped its head off and you, you know, squeezed the blood out into a bowl, and then mixed it with fresh living water, and then dipped like this scarlet cord and dipped this you know put this other stuff in there, and then you the per, the priest would anoint the person who was unclean, and it's like seven times, and then he would take the other bird. And I believe I remember seeing this in, in some of my research. They would take, take, you know, take the tail, dip it into the, the blood water, and then release it and fly away. Weird custom, right? Like, that makes no sense. 
what? What? Like thinking, what in the world is going on here? You know, and, and thinking about this, so looking more into this, and like the one was represented death. You know, killing the bird and and pouring out its blood. And, and the, as the Bible says, the life of the animal, the life of that bird is in its blood. So you pour it out, you know, you drip it out into a bowl of water. And that represented death. It represented the death to the whole past of this person that was offering the sacrifice. To all of the sin and all of the, the uncleanness of this man. So all his leprosy, his life as a leper, was being covered with the blood of the sparrow or the pigeon. And oftentimes, they would do these kind of birds because they were found out in the wild where these people lived. They had no land. They had no nothing else. And so they would offer what they could catch. And then the other one, it was the water was this this fresh living. Oftentimes, it was dipped out of living water. And living water, as we know now in Scripture, living water, fresh living water, represents the Holy Spirit. Represents the healing. Of the water, and so that's what this this other the, the, the tail feathers of the one bird were dipped in to represent that it was now healed of the sin and death. But this was the beginning of it. This this as this would later represent you know, this custom. This is this is a picture of the cross. We see the death of Jesus, his blood being spilled out and poured out. For us. And this, this imagery that we are washed clean by the blood of Christ. And then raised with Christ to new life. And given his Holy Spirit and flying away. You know, now I'm actually kind of like that song. I'll fly away. Right? It's, it's this, I'm now empowered with the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's covered by the blood of Christ and mixed with the Holy Spirit. And then, so there is a custom. So seven days, they wait. Make sure that you're clean after this custom. And then on the eighth day, you're still clean. Then you go to the sacrifice of the lambs. And this was done on the eighth day. Now, all over Scripture, I mean, the creation story to the birth, you know, to the, the resurrection of Jesus, to the end times, this imagery of the eighth day. I love this picture. That the eighth day in Jewish Jewish custom, oftentimes, you know, the seventh day would be the Sabbath, the rest, the day of rest. The eighth day, when Jesus was resurrected, when God fashioned Eve, the eighth day was the new creation. The eighth day was always, you know, the first day of the week, right, was known as the new day. It was the eighth day for them. This newness. New creation, new day, new week. So the first lamb was for atonement. Atonement for all of his sins. Now, some interesting background on the sacrificial system. So this was a sacrifice for sin. And the sin offering, what they would do is they would take the lamb and they would take, you know, they would take it out, they would skin it, and take all the fatty parts off of off of the lamb, all the different tallow areas. The, the fat over the kidneys, the fat, fat on the liver, and they would take all the fat in these things and entrails, and they'd put it onto the altar and burn it. And that's what they would burn. And then all the, all of the meat was given to the priests. 
for the son for the for the Levitical priests to eat. That was their that was their food. Was when people brought a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for sin, the Aaronic priesthood got the meat, and the Levites got the meat to eat. That was their food. And they did not have an inheritance amongst the nations, amongst the different tribes. And then what, would, what they would do, they would, they would take the blood and they would put it on uh, their, I think it was the right ear, the lobe, lobe of their right ear, on their right thumb, and on their right left toe. This was the same purification and anointing that the priests would go undergo when they were going into the Holy of Holies. It's the only time in Scripture we, where we see the same anointing given to Jewish people that were not priests and not going into the Holy of Holies. So this represents something powerful, that you are dirty and unclean and despised and rejected and isolated and outside the camp. And you couldn't worship God. You couldn't engage in a relationship. And now you're being anointed as you rejoin. Life and healing. Blood of atonement. And then the second thing that they would also do is anoint you with oil. They would pour oil on your head. So not only are you forgiven of your sins, but now the oil is this, anoint, is this anointing, and oil is used for healing. They would, they would put oil on wounds and certain things. And this oil was for the healing, to represent the healing of the person, not just their body. Because Jews back then didn't believe in this separation you know, with body, mind, heart, and soul. It was all one thing together. So to anoint the body was to anoint the soul. Was To purify the body was to purify the soul and the spirit. This beautiful picture of, of life and healing. Now, the second lamb. This is where the party comes in. This is, this is the fun part. So the second lamb was offered. And again, they would do the same thing. They would, they would uh, you know, uh, kill, kill the lamb of the lamb, and they would splatter the blood on the altar, just like they would normally. And they would skin it and take all the, the fatty parts off, and they would burn those on the altar as a, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then they would take the meat. But, you know who got the meat? The person who offered it. The person who offered the, the sacrifice, this, this burnt offering sacrifice, they got the meat. <coughs> and the whole purpose of this, several of these sacrifices, the Passover, the family gets the meat. Different bull sacrifices, fellowship offerings, the family and the people presenting it get the meat. And oftentimes it's when all the people of Israel come to Jerusalem to celebrate a huge feast. Or they go and they celebrate one of their feasts in their cities. And they sacrifice in designated places. They would offer the, the fatty parts to the Lord as a burnt offering. But they would receive the meat in return. Why? so they could party in God's presence. All over Scripture, when, they come, when the people of Israel come to Jerusalem three times a year for the big festivals, it's to party. It's to celebrate. It's to feast. It's a festival. And so they're partying. They're, they're offering sacrifices to the Lord. Because remember, where, where is the life of each animal? In the blood. And you shed blood when you, when you slaughter an animal, it is precious to the Lord. And that the life of that animal belongs to the Lord. And that's why God all over the Old Testament, 
Old Testament here. The, all the Levitic, you know, the, the Torah and how you do the sacrifices and where you do the sacrifices is so important. Because he says, anytime you ever sacrifice any animal outside the, te- the, the synagogue or you know, the, the tabernacle of God's presence, you're offering worship to the, to the goat God, a.k.a. Satan. So anytime Israelites would sacrifice an animal outside the temple, God was saying, you're, you're worshiping Satan. And so the, the tabernacle and the temple was the divine slaughterhouse where they bring together to worship the Lord, to offer Him the sacrifice, to, a, you know, to provide the meat as well from, for atoning sacrifices, and the meat would go to the priesthood. And there were occasionally you know, um, certain sacrifices that it would be the whole thing. They would just throw the whole animal on there, except for its head. They never burnt the head. They burnt the head outside the camp. But they would burn the whole sacrifice on the altar. But this sacrifice that this man would be offering on the, you know, after the eighth day, on, on the eighth day, that celebrates the new creation, you know, celebrates healing, life, and atonement, he would receive the meat to celebrate God. I don't know, it doesn't say how long this man has been like this. We'll just call it, you know, know, just a few years, 10 years, 20 years, it could have been longer. This man couldn't worship. This man couldn't eat in God's presence. This man couldn't go and learn and listen to the word of God being preached in the synagogue. This man was isolated and alone in the woods. We now understand why he ran and threw himself on the floor in front of Jesus and begged him and pleaded with him, Lord, if you are willing, I've heard about you. I've heard that you've been doing all these healings. Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. You can reconnect me to my family. You can reconnect me to my fellow brothers in in you. You can set me free from this so I can worship Yahweh in the temple so that I too can go and feast in his presence. That's all I desire is to go and feast in your presence and rejoin my brothers and sisters. And now, Jesus says, these, these words, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, I love that word. It wasn't like this, he waited a while, he waited a couple weeks, and he kind of went away. No, it was immediately, instantly. Again, go back and watch The Chosen. They have this, this scene in there, and it is awesome. It was just too long to show. It is so beautiful. Not only does he touch him, but he brings him up into his arms and he embraces this man. This man had probably not been touched in however long. And Jesus embraces him and he's being healed as he watched this, you know, the camera just pan around them. And obviously he steps back and he's completely whole. 
And now he can go and rejoin life. He could now join the table of the Lord and dine in his presence. He could rejoin the community. He could go back and hug his wife and cuddle with his children. His you know, kids jump up into his arms. This man was isolated. Not of his choice. He had to leave. Now, during this, this last year, there's been a lot of that going on. You get, a phone, you get that phone call from wherever, whoever, don't even know, says, hey, you have to quarantine. We, tra- we, tra- we contract trace you, and you have to quarantine for two weeks. And if you can, isolate yourself from your family for two weeks. You know what that feels like? Without the choice, all of a sudden your your world is upended. Having to to divide the house in two, the one person on one side and one person on the other, it's hard. Not being able to embrace the one that you love, not by your choice. But there's also quarantining by choice. Isolating yourself from people. From human, from humanity, from friends and family. I, you know, living in that isolation and that fear. Letting that control your life. I know some people that haven't gone out to eat in a year. And they've been at home this whole time. And I know others who are just living life like normal. And everything in between. There are people that are isolating themselves by choice. With COVID, we found new ways to isolate ourselves. And justifying, you know, saying, oh, I can just, I can be on Zoom. It's just, it's just, it's just the same. I can be on FaceTime. It's just as good. I can be on social media. Makes me feel like I'm connected. That's bubkiss. Scientifically, they even say like Zoom itself and FaceTime doesn't trigger the mirror neurons that we need to make an actual connection with another human being. The only way, scientifically, that you can make a connection with another person is face-to-face contact and physical, physical embrace. Being in each other's presence, seeing each other, and making physical contact with one another. I said it a year ago, and I'll say it again. I hope that this church becomes known as the Huggy Church. I would love for this church to be known as the Huggy Church, in a good way. Could also be like, oh, that's the Huggy Church. You go there, you're getting COVID. But what did I say a year ago? This Sunday, a year ago. And we've seen the scientific ramifications of this over this last year. That physical touch helps your body fight viruses and bacteria 10 times at least more than isolation alone. That scientific research that I talked about a year ago, they had the two groups and they voluntarily got, voluntarily got, you know, injected or exposed to a bacteria or I want to say it was like a cold virus. One group over here was, was completely socially and they actually called it socially distanced. You know, they couldn't touch. They couldn't make physical contact. This group over here was encouraged to cuddle and hug and hold hands and make physical contact. 
And this group over here that was isolated, every single one of them got sick. Every single one of them showed symptoms, and many of them severe. One or two even actually had to come, leave the scientific experiment and go to the hospital because they're at, you know, near dying. This group over here, almost none of them showed any symptoms at all. And the ones who did were very mild. Physical contact is so vital to your survival. It is so vital. God created. That's why God over and over and over again in all the, all these epistles, every author says, greet one another with a holy embrace. Greet one another with a physical so, show of affection. So this is God's call to you. Be like this man. Come out of hiding. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and re-engage. Stop isolating. Reconnect. Re-enter. Be brave. Enter back into relationship fully, as, as full as you can with your conscience. God desires you to come back to the party. Come back to living His way. I'm not going to tell you what that what that's like. You, you can make those that decision for yourself. That's why I haven't tried. I, so I've tried to stay away from the conversation of like social distance and masking and stuff like that. But I. I as much as humanly, physically possible, re-engage, connect for your own survival. I think that is one. That is the number one reason why we have seen suicide during this last year skyrocket, four hundred percent among millennials, at least. That was that statistic of Japan. More people died in Japan of suicide in October than of the entire pandemic because of suicide. More people died of suicide in Japan than COVID. And there are thousands, thousands in our country, tens of thousands, I can't remember the exact number, I want to say it's about 80,000 this last year, just from suicide alone. And that statistic, that was, that's old. I think that was back in like maybe, I think, same thing, October. That was old statistic. Freedom. Coming back to the party. Coming back to relationship. How does God want us to God has showed us in His Word. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions, its fears, its desires. If we live by the Spirit, we let us also keep in step with the Spirit, what He wants. So love is through the Spirit. There's no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. Engage. Come back to the party. Don't take our cues from the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not 
in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. It seems odd to name safety an idol. But many evil things are done with good intentions. As it was the old phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The world value system, this crave of safety, protection, this worship of safety. Seems like some of the worst things, like isolationism and shutting things down, has been done in the name of safety. Now, I am all about looking out for you, for you and your family's safety. You know, we don't do stupid things like, "Hey, I'm gonna go jump off that cliff and you know, not you know, bring a parachute." Lord will protect me. Hmm, where have I heard that temptation before? We don't do, we don't just go out there and do stupid things. We don't just go into a hospital and try to expose ourselves to leprosy. There are precautions. I mean, God's people, you know, God actually instituted this quarantining process. So it's not that we act without wisdom in these things. But we don't worship it. We don't worship safety over relationships. And connection. There's something greater. Rule number 11. Don't get distracted. Don't sacrifice great. Don't, don't pursue good and miss great. My rule, my rule number 11. Staying focused. Staying the course. Freedom. Rejoining the party. Everything that is counted uh, to this world's value system. Everything that takes us away from his kingdom body life. Because God desires to get us back to the party. God desires relationship and connection. Meaningful connection with each other. So what is God, what does God want to do with you? How does God want you to live and not only live, live yourself and live by your conscience and engaging in relationships, but how does God want to use you to bring and cultivate this in your world? Cultivate this in your sphere. Cultivate this mentality of engagement, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your relationship around you, at work, school, family, friends. I said the number one thing that preppers do is isolate. How can I protect my castle? How can I protect me and my family and just let everyone else rot? Isolationism, safety. We don't take our cues from the world value system. We take our cues from the Lord and how he wants us to engage and love one another, serve one another, bear with one another. 
build up one another. What is God's will? What is God's desire? Well, a way to understand how to do that is but the news about him spread. All these things, but yet he often withdrew to deserted place, places and prayed. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus pull back and isolate and pray? Every time you see Jesus go away, every time you see this, this pulling back, it's a springboard. It's a it's a like a slingshot. It's pulling back in order to launch himself forward, launch himself into the party, launch himself into doing what the Father had sent him to do, launching himself and bringing the kingdom of God near. So we isolate ourselves. We 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 come back and we pray and we spend time with him. Go off to a deserted place. We got a summer camp. We got we got a camp out in Mill Creek. I will give you the you know go out there and isolate yourself and go and pray and spend time with the Lord in order to launch yourself back into life, back into engagement, back into relationship, back into furthering the kingdom of God. As we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. God does that through you. God does that through us as a church. And God does that as we relate one to another in our small groups, in our one-on-ones. This is, this is the way that God does this. Jesus himself gathered a small group because that's how he knew he was going to disciple people. And his disciples gathered people and that's how they discipled people in community. That's always been the biblical method for discipleship is in community, relationships, together. Engage. Engage. Because God desires us to get back to the party. God, we we pray this morning that you would show us and give us a vision of how you want each one of us to get back to the party. What is your mission through us? What is your ministry that you have given each one of us hearing this message? God, I pray that you would be with us in a powerful way to show us and to reveal to us, Lord, your heart for us. Your, the way that you empower us. The way that you've gifted us. And the way that you are launching us to further your kingdom. So that we can truly see your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be like this man and throw ourselves in front of you, Lord. If we don't know you yet, Jesus, let us throw ourselves before your feet because you can make us clean. You can clean our conscience, clean our hearts, clean our minds from maybe some of the filth that's, that's let, it, let its way in. The worldly value systems, Lord, that have, that have crept into our thinking. Let us throw ourselves before your throne of grace so that you can cleanse our consciences and cleanse our hearts and re-empower us, Lord Jesus, for your mission, for your glory, for your for our good and for your glory in our in our church and in our society. You want to do such powerful things for each one of us. And I pray that each one of us here in this room, as we're listening to this, would ask that question, Lord, what would you have of me?
How do you want me, Lord Jesus, to engage and participate in your work? To do the things that you have sent us to do as Jesus came to do the things that you sent him to do. We love you, Jesus. I pray that you would be made much of in our, in our church. And God, that we would see a relationship building that like never before in the life of our church, life of your church. Fill us up with passion this morning for your, for your glory and for your ministry. So it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.